As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of What's the Crack? I'm Elle Wadsworth and here with me I have Rob Calder. Hello. And Lindsay Hines. Hi. And we're all researchers at the National Addiction Centre, King's College London. Today's episode is on the London nightclub fabric. We will be talking about why it should down, pill purity, and drugs in clubs. We will then take a look back on harm reduction measures at the old club in Manchester, Hacienda. Uh, and we will finish by speculating our thoughts on the reopening and the future of fabric. Yeah, but before we start today, uh, we just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's been listening to the podcast and who's been downloading it and subscribing on iTunes and listening through Acast. It's been really great. Um, and a real surprise to us. So thank you very much for that. Thanks. Thank you. Sorry. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> We're all thankful yes. for that. Um, and I'd also like to say thank you to everyone who's promoted us. So especially Susie Gage, uh, the guys at Vault Fast, and also Leap. Um, you know, they've been very supportive of us. So thank you, everyone. I'd also like to recommend that before we start this podcast you might want to check out Susie Gage's uh, Say Why to Drugs podcast on MDMA because we'll be talking about MDMA a lot throughout this but not really talking much about what it does as a drug and what it is. And Susie and Scroobius Pip have just done a really great background and review of the evidence on that. Fabric's been in the news recently because there were um, it was closed and this was as a result of a couple of um, deaths at the nightclub. And although we want to, we want to look at uh, what's happening and look at some of the evidence we're not going to look at those specific cases because we, we actually think we think that would be quite insensitive and just want to acknowledge that um, involved in this issue are a couple of really really uh, tragic events and we don't want to make light of those we don't want to belittle them and we certainly don't want to make anyone um, feel any worse about them so we're going to be sensitive around that um, but we're also we're not going to talk about specific um, specific events or, or, or individual people rather we're just going to look at the evidence around it um so yeah so before we actually go into it have either of you been to fabric uh, i'm not gonna pretend that i'm super invested in fabric i've been a couple of times i think when i first moved to london dubstep was really big i went along i had a great time <laughs> great i loved dubstep at that time wonderful times have changed 
<laughs> we all grow up, you know. Yeah. Rob, how well, about you? Yeah, I think I've been, I think I've been to Fabric a couple of times. Um, Rob, I you c- live at Fabric, basically, <laughs> in my mind. You were distraught when it closed, and so happy when it opened. <laughs> you were like, "Thank God, I'm over 19. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, so I went. I went to Fabric a couple of times. I, I, I actually thought it was a really. Uh, when I went, I thought it was a really nice nightclub. I thought it was clean. Which is really important for me. Wow, great, <laughs> that's your first toilets. impression. It was clean, great toilets, friendly staff. I was quite disappointed that when I got a Red Bull vodka, they didn't give me the whole can of Red Bull, but that's standard. It's probably because you bought a Red Bull vodka. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but, I th- you know, I, th- I think as, an, as a nightclub, it was one of those places I uh, going to. There are some nightclubs you go to where you look around and you think, People kind of really have to be intoxicated to be here because it's just so dirty and mm. horrible, and it's just some nightclubs are just not nice places to be. Fabric, you could go there completely sober. You could, wouldn't need to have a drink. It's a really nice place. Great sound system. I, it was really, I really enjoyed Fabric. Oh, <laughs> tell us about your Fabric experience. Hey, I've been to Fabric. I really enjoyed it. I uh, remember going when I first moved to London. I think that's obviously the standard thing that you do, right? Mm. Um, and I remember being absolutely overwhelmed by its size. And I was like, obviously, when I went in, I was intoxicated. And I was just like, I'm so lost. There's so many rooms. Actually, there's only three, right? <laughs> there's a map, isn't there? A map there's probably a map, too. Yeah. I was just, there was, there was just so much. I was in the big city, you know, just a fresh little 23-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's overwhelming quite quite a young thing uh, yeah i'm really hooked up on that map cartography is what i like in a night out oh. that's what i'm really in for okay so i'm going to begin with a, b- a brief background on fabric to those who do not know what fabric is or why it's even been in the news um but it's been um in the news quite frequently over the past six months of it being open and it being closed so Fabric, the nightclub in London, uh, opened in 1999 by businessmen Cameron Leslie and Keith Riley, is world famous, It's taken nearly 7 million patrons over the past 17 years, and has nights celebrating a multitude of gen- genres and artists, ranging from drum and bass, EDM, Rob's favourite techno, and, <laughs> and grime. It has the highest number of security team and on-site medical team, and is said to be the uh, beacon of best practice in drug security. It logs all its confiscations and hands dealers to the police. However, in 2016, Fabric's license was revoked after two uh, drug-related deaths in June and August uh, with teenagers. Thoughts? Well, first of all, I wanted to bring up a bit more about why Fabric was shut down and what was found in the report about that. So this was a decision um, by made by Islington Council, which is within the borough that it falls in, and they um, convened a subcommittee to assess Fabric after there were these two drug-related deaths in quite a short time. It was a public inquiry, wasn't public it? Public inquiry, yeah. 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 And these weren't the first drug-related deaths that Fabric had had. There'd also been a couple of years earlier mm. some other deaths. Um, and so it was after this review that the licence was revoked, and that was because... They found that um, the people had who died had bought the drugs in the nightclub. Um, that people bought extra as well in the nightclub as well. Yeah, it? so they right. bought the drugs okay. into the nightclub, but they'd also purchased drugs in the club. Mm. Um, and the committee decided that people weren't being adequately searched when they were going in. Um, that security staff um, could observe that people were taking drugs in there, but weren't doing enough about it. And um, also that um, undercover officers who went said it was very obvious that people were taking drugs and that there wasn't enough effort from the club to stop that. So 
I yeah. Think the, the kind of overall, their go-to phrase was um, that Fabric had developed a, a culture of drug use that it was unable to contain or something. A culture right, okay. of drug use exists at the club, which existing management and security appears incapable of controlling. So it's had, in the past, it's been really praised for its uh, best practice in stopping drug use <coughs> and, <coughs> I don't know about harm reduction, but in certainly reducing harms and drug use. But then after these deaths, the committee really came down on it, came up with a lot of faults, and yeah. then it closed it down. So, yeah, so in the past, it's been really praised for what it's mm. been doing about drug use. So it's very kind of a surprising flip around that yeah. these deaths suddenly became very much the fault of the club. Yeah. Um, yeah, and obviously... Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think it's really it's, it's been a, a really interesting process to watch and obviously really, uh, you know, tragic for those people involved. Um, and I think where you can then start looking at the evidence of it, I think one of the things in the public inquiry that really took my... Um, uh, interest was this report from undercover police officers who'd gone into fabric and was it Operation Lenore? <laughs> it was Operation <laughs> Lenore, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so these undercover police officers had gone in, and their evidence was presented in the um, public inquiry. They, you know, they were saying obviously lots of people were taking drugs. You know, they looked like they'd taken drugs. They spoke to a couple of people who said, "Yeah, everyone's on drugs here," and this was presented as evidence. And that got me thinking about kind of what the research base is about the amount of drugs people do use in um, uh, you know, music venues. And this, this whole issue uh, crosses over with festivals. There's a lot of stuff about uh, pill testing in mm. festivals this year, which I think we're going to talk about a bit later. So I, moving slightly away from Fabric and looking at some of the evidence that people have got about how much people are using drugs. Um, the first one, that there's a study, and um, we're going to put up the links for these studies, aren't we? Yeah, on ACAST. If you see, watch it on ACAST, there's links um, throughout all the studies that we talk about. Yeah, so the first one I found was from South Africa, people looking at trance parties in South Africa, and they were looking for the how people were able to go to trance parties and not use ecstasy, like right. what their characteristics were. And there were people who... What, so the people who were not taking drugs and what their characteristics People are. who weren't taking ecstasy. Oh, ecstasy. Specifically. So they got a focus group and they spoke to them and, and they found out that people who didn't want to use ecstasy didn't mm. use ecstasy. People who feared losing control and people who... Um, people who didn't want to take chemicals. Uh, so anyway, so they did this thing. Um, and one of the interesting things about that study was they really struggled to find people enough people for the focus group because everyone there was taking ecstasy. <laughs> right. So okay. really difficult to identify. Um, and then you've got loads of kind of surveys. So you've got some surveys in New York and San Francisco that interview people going into and out of clubs. Um, they picked different nightclubs in New mm. York um, and also music festivals. It's around the EDM scene, so the electronic dance music scene, which has really seen a resurgence in uh, MDMA use. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so they were just surveying people, trying to basically survey as many people as they could going into a club. It wasn't a very um, strategic sampling system, yeah. other than let's just try and get everyone. Yeah. But they found that about 48% of people going into clubs and festivals were had taken MDMA in their life. So right. not at that time, mm. but, you know, potentially were. But they also found that people who were regularly going to the club, like, you know, once every other week or so, were more likely to be taking MD, to have taken MDMA in their lives. So they were the, yeah. the I guess, kind of regular clubbers were the people who are most likely to use MDMA. Yeah. Um, and one of the problems with that and the San Francisco one, because San Francisco one was quite um, smart, they gave people wristbands on the way in and then tried to find them on the way out. Mm, right. But surprisingly, the people who were more intoxicated on the way in were more difficult to find on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which, which is uh, part of the problem with this, is partly that people are, are reluctant to tell people when they've used drugs because it's illegal and you can go to prison for it. 
And secondly, um, they're quite difficult to predict, find, locate and get reliable information from if they have taken drugs. Mm. So there's some, there's some problems. Though. The one in San Francisco found that just 5.4% of people were intoxicated with MDMA on exit, which, is, uh, which seems quite low to me. Um, <clears throat> then there was, there was there's a, a great report on trends in drug use from Amsterdam Nightlife from Amsterdam University, which um, looked which said that people who'd gone to raves, so in the last month, 69% of those who'd gone to raves had used ecstasy, which is a much higher uh, figure. So you've got everything ranging from 5% to 69%, and these are using quite... Uh, but also their, their methods were different because they, um, they recruited... Oh, they they uh, identified people going into clubs, lots of different clubs, and gave them a link to a survey, an online survey they could fill in when they got home. So it's much more anonymous, and I think you're much more likely to get um, honesty than approaching people on the way into a club. Mm. Um, yeah, are you going to take drugs? Have you taken drugs? Mm. It's, I think that's kind of a bit difficult. Yeah, and I guess that's why other surveys have been asking about lifetime drug yeah. use. Like, have you ever used uh, you know, MDMA in your life? Because it's easier to be like, have you ever used it? Rather than, how about right now? Yeah, uh, people are you more about to take some? Yeah, <laughs> and then, you know, yeah. that sounds like a sting operation. A yeah. really badly disguised sting <laughs> operation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Waiting to happen. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So... MDMA use not just happening in fabric. Well, I think really difficult to pin down. So uh, the the uh, this also led me onto the like the false consensus effect, um, which is the it's that thing that if you survey people at college, the amount of drugs they reckon everyone is having is consistently higher than the amount of drugs people are actually taking. It's that kind of false consensus. Everyone thinks that everyone is taking drugs, but actually, which is similar with teenage sex as well, surely. Yeah, and yeah. cigarettes. Everyone's and doing it. When in fact, not that many people are. Yeah, um, and in this study uh, with, say, amphetamines, the perceived use in the last thirty days was sixty percent of. They reckon sixty percent of people had used amphetamines in the last thirty days, but actually, the actual reported use was just five percent. So there's a massive difference mm. in what people think is happening and what's actually happening, which then brings me back round to the undercover policeman going into fabric and having a look around and saying, "I reckon everyone here is on drugs." It's not the world's strongest evidence. Or the people, mm. ask, the people that they asked. Oh, yeah, everyone's on drugs. It's yeah. the same thing for them. Yeah. Like they're assuming that everybody's on drugs because the people in their periphery or their friendship group are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and there may be people listening to this podcast who've been to clubs and they think, yeah, they are full of ecstasy or they are full of people taking drugs. Because you perceive it to be so doesn't necessarily mean that it is so. And that's not diminishing from the fact that there is a, a potential drug problem or there's lots of drug use associated with particular types of music and particular nightlife but um mm. but it's just being a bit cautious about broad statements yeah and potentially confirmation bias for the police as well that they go in what's so confirmation bias i'm not you know i don't know the police's methods so i'm not saying this but it's certainly something in psychology that we see in society and in people a lot so you have mm. an idea and then you find a few things that support it and you kind of go okay yeah great so I was right and that was my idea rather than finding the evidence to disprove it so yeah so that again links to that but yeah so what I was thinking was if there's all these people (coughs) and all these studies which are you know clubs obviously an area where there's a lot of drug users or people who are going to be you know a higher prevalence of people who use drugs for me it seems like when people come in and they see it really as criminal activity it just seems like such a missed opportunity for tackling the harms that people might be experiencing yeah. from drug use. And I know we think about health harms a lot, but there are other things which are associated with MDMA use. So I know in one study, which was by my 
PhD supervisor, Kate Morley, just Aww. as a little nepotism <laughs> alert. Um, they use data from the Global Drug Survey, so which is from all across the globe and has um, you know over 14,000 people taking part. And they found that people who are using ecstasy, along with other drugs at the same time, are people who are more likely to be engaging in risky sexual behaviour, so you know, like unprotected yeah. sex, and also people who are more likely to experience violence related to their drug use. And so when we think about people who are using MDMA, if you know, obviously there are large health risks and, you know, risks of um, death as we see in the situation, but also there's so many other behaviours which, you know, we should be promoting um, positive health in that area. But to just go, there's loads of drug use in this place, shut it down, rather than to be like, okay, this is potentially somewhere where we could be staging some kind of public health intervention. Yeah. Yeah. Seems to me a bit of a negative stance to take. This is also the issue with fluctuating uh, purity of MDMA and ecstasy. So it's risky in that respect because you don't know what you're getting, which I guess is arguably for all drugs because you mm. don't actually know what's in your, you know, generic white powder <laughs> that you're given. <laughs> um, and you don't know in ecstasy pills case, you don't know what the purity or the adulterants are in in your pretty coloured um, Mickey Mouse yeah. or random shaped pill. Well, um, they, they had, I, I remember seeing this... Uh, some footage of someone who was mixing up um, pills to sell on the street and mm. we, you know he had the, the active ingredient and the things he was mixing to make the pills and it was just a kind of you know he scattered it in gave it a good old stir and then started making the pills out yeah. of them and actually the variation between individual pills on the same batch was just you know it was just chaotic it just mm. depended on how well it had been mixed and, and who by so yeah and how alert he was at his stirring yeah or she Let's not let's not jump to conclusions here, El. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was a he though. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> gender stereotypes work. <laughs> they really do. It's not a stereotype when it's a person. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, so I think it was in the two thousands anyway when MDMA was pretty low purity due to various chemical precursor seizures, precursor being like the chemicals that you start to make uh, MDMA. Um, And pills were approximately 50 milligrams per pill. On average. On average, on average, yeah. Whereas today, they're pushing more towards, or coming as high as 200 milligrams. Really? Yeah, real high. Um, An article by the Global Drug Survey said that the average amount for the average user to have a good time was approximately 80 milligrams. How did they define have a good time? You know, um, I was guess it, the ratio this... between good effects and negative effects. Okay. So you'd have all the, you know, the feelings of euphoria, feeling love towards other people without. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The, neg- the negative effects of, like, you know, anxiety or, you know, gurning or other negative effects that I can't think of. Listen to Susie Gage's... Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, to, su- yeah, listen for the uh, entire background on MDMA. Um, but, yeah, so, like, if you think that today's pill has been, like, what, 150 milligrams to 200 milligrams, it's about, what, almost double that of what you should have to have a, you know, a nicer experience that hasn't, or, you know, filled with all these negatives. Way more so than the, double. Um, yeah, way more than double. The, um, the kind of active dose 
Uh, so another one of the issues with ecstasy pills is again, well, like I said before, you don't know exactly what's in them. Um, and over the years, they've contained various different chemicals that are with them. Um, so I think most famously, or most recently, they've uh, included a chemical called PMMA, uh, which were contained in the Superman pills that oh, were yeah. put on alerts, I think, about two years ago, maybe. Um, and the issue with PMMA is that it's actually st very struct chemically structurally similar to M MDMA, um, but it's way more potent and takes longer to kick in. Mm. So if like what a naive user or even a regular user takes a pill that's actually PMA and is waiting for their usual time to get high, um, which is, I don't know, whatever it is for their body, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever, and nothing happens, and then go, oh, it's not working, it's a dud, I'm gonna take more. And then what, another half an hour later, they're hit with a, a double dose and mm. a more potent double dose. And then that's where your issues arise around it, risking overdose. Which is why there's been um, two like uh, campaigns come out by uh, the Global Drug Survey and by The Loop, which is a charity, um, in the northern England and I think the global drug survey says uh, don't be daft start with half which is probably a half rhyme right? you need to say that in your northern accent <laughs> don't be daft start with half oh no it doesn't no, work, doesn't work. Half? half start don't with be daft don't be daft with start with half either way don't be daft start with half <laughs> don't be daft don't be daft start with half and oh. there we go it's southern yeah, it's very southern okay yes, alright so theirs is don't be daft start with half and uh, encourages uh, users of ecstasy and pills to just start a little and then maybe wait one or two hours to see how you feel before you take the next half see how your body's taking it whereas the loop is um, this is more of MDMA crystal which is more pure and not in the pill form in a powder that can be sold uh, just as MDMA. Uh, that's uh, hashtag crush dab weight, which encourages users to crush down your powder quite fine, dab your index finger or little finger, and then do the same weight for a bit, see how you're feeling before you carry on, mm. which is obviously come with the fact that there's, there's higher purity with these pills and MDMA, just to make people to slow down if you're gonna do it. Yeah. Start, so, with, start with half. Start with half. <laughs> don't be daft. Don't be daft. Yeah. So there is like harm reduction out there. Mm. And it's, yeah, yeah. I, th I think that kind of brings back to there's a statement um, released by Fabric, and it's a, it's a regular statement that comes up from uh, police at, at festivals. You know, it's this kind of refrain blah, blah, blah. Um, there's going to be sniffer dogs, there's going to be people uh, watching this festival. Um, and remember, there's no safe way to take drugs. And this appeared on uh, Fabric's transparency statement where they were mm. saying, look, we're reopening, but please be aware of our licensing condition um, and please respect that and, and don't bring drugs and remember that there's no safe way to take drugs. And I, I found that quite a de depressing message. I mean, it, it, it's true, you know, there, there is no absolute safe way to take drugs, but there are much, much safer mm. ways and much, much more risky ways to take drugs um, in terms of the places that, that people take them, the psychological states that they take them in, what other substances they might be using, what medication they might be on, and the doses that they take, how regularly they might dose, um, about overheating, about hydrating. There is, there's lots of factors that go into making uh, drug use um, more risky and less risky and, and boiling that down to just a, a, a very straightforward there's no safe way to take drugs well, not a very nuanced message to send out no. although it does fit in one line one <laughs> easy line yes, and that's yeah. useful that is important <laughs> yeah but we were going to expand this out to um uh, overdose <laughs> yeah well potentially because i do think that to an extent fabric is 
you know, again, I'm not going to weigh in on whether or not what they were doing with fabric with their measures is right or not, but it's maybe more of a symptom of what's going on in the world rather than a cause of, uh, you know, fabric causing the problem. Because across Europe, I'm looking at the EMC... DDA. Um, EMC DDA, thank you. Which is the uh, European Monitoring Centre for Drugs and Drug Addiction. Mm-hmm. So according to their figures... Um, MDMA use kind of peaked in the mid-2000s, went down a bit and is now rising again and is becoming a lot more prevalent. Um, And in the same way, overdoses in the UK, looking at the Office of National Statistics data on all mortality in the UK, um, in 2011, only 13 people died of, um, you know, causes related to ecstasy use, whereas in 2015, 57 people had died of causes related to um, MDMA use. And so there's really, uh, you know, across the country and across the potentially across the continent you know much uh, greater rise in mdma use and the harms from mdma use mm. and this is probably just something that's there maybe they are struggling yeah. to control it but that if so that's because it's a wider problem that's in our society at the moment not because of the poor like security issues not necessarily because yeah. of the <laughs> poor security issues course, potentially yeah. there's more they could be doing but it's still something where here fabric has been punished for this and shut down and it's been said you know fabric this is your fault and you're not addressing it rightly whereas actually maybe we should look more widely at what's happening in our society and whether we should be trying to address this wider trend which this is probably symptomatic of yeah and i would it, say yeah and and whilst you know, the statement may be true that uh that fabric was host to a, a it may or may not I, you know I, I wasn't at the public hearing would you like the statement i would yeah <laughs> host to a culture of drug use which exists which the existing management and security appears incapable of controlling. Yeah, I mean, you could expand that out to the country. The the, the, the government is host to a, a drug using um, a culture that is unable to uh, contain with with, with current um, uh, legislation. Okay, so let's take a look back to another club, Hacienda in Manchester. Rob, take it away. Okay, so I thought we'd look. I, I thought it would be interesting to look back at Hacienda a bit because there's this. Um, you get this narrative where uh, these problems are brand new and that we have this brand new era of people taking drugs and harms and actually there are you know there there are lots of of times through history where similar issues have come up so hacienda used to be a big it was one of the first big nightclubs where the um big american house djs would come over it was very associated with manchester so i'm lucky enough to know a couple of people who went to it when it was operational you know, and they said that it was a really, really chaotic place to go. There was there was lots of uh, drug taking, quite open drug taking in Hacienda, and that one of the reasons for this was that um, it was uh, a, a blind eye was turned to drug dealing and drug dealers, but a blind eye was turned to selected drug dealing and drug dealers, and within that, people going to Hacienda knew that um, knew the quality of the drugs that they were able to buy in Hacienda because they were off approved um, or blind eye turned to uh, dealers and so there was a certain level of, of quality control which own, which kind of reflects what we're talking about currently with drug testing and pill purity and some of those issues. Hacienda basically ended up being closed because of hideous levels of gang violence and stabbings and uh, violence. It became a deeply unpleasant place to go. It got closed reopened with very very strict new licensing conditions um i think they had metal detectors on the way in and it closed really soon after that because it turned into a really terrible club and no one wanted to go is this a scary look into the future of fabric uh, I, <laughs> I, is this what you're trying to tell us rob no i am definitely not trying to say that um i it's 
I wish there was a clearer message from the story of Hacienda, but I think it's fitting for a club that was so mired in chaos that actually any learning you can take from it is impossible because it was just all so chaotic. Mm. Um, and that's the people who I know who went to Hacienda when it was running. The main thing they report is that it was just chaos. Um, so anyway, it's, it's, it's a reflection. And what's Hacienda now? Flats. Prime real estate. Prime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Fabric uh, reopened in January. Uh, I think its opening weekend was the first weekend of January. Had some uh, really good uh, feedback from it. I think some blogs had said that they're actually the security was quite excessive. But in general, it was Fabric as it always was. Um, but Fabric had conditions of opening that um, Fabric and Islington Council came to the agreement on that uh, they would introduce a new ID system, court surveillance system, uh, a lifetime ban for anyone dealing or in possessions of drugs and they'd be handed over to the police and no one under the age of 19 would be allowed in from I think Friday at 8pm to Monday at 8am. Um, so obviously this changes um, what Fabric was I guess with the new security systems. Um, so our thought piece is generally what, what are our thoughts and our speculations of what um, Fabric is going to be. Mm. I think for me to to start with, to pick out, I think that because there's a lifetime ban for anyone in possession and will be handed over to the police, I would suspect that this means that this is a definite no for pill testing inside the club. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. What is so, pill testing, L? Uh, so pill testing is when uh, so they currently do it in uh, in warehouse project in Manchester, uh, where you take a like a little bit of the um, pill or the drug that you're currently having, and then they test it, and then they um, do do an alert saying, "Oh, this is um, X Y Z in your in your pill." Um, it's slightly different to what it is in festivals because you can actually choose whether you want to take it back or give it in. Yeah. Whereas with warehouse project, you're giving it to to testing so that they, they, they keep it, basically. Yeah. Okay, so this is a, a harm reduction measure that they're using in the warehouse project, and I think which a lot of drugs campaigners and potentially drugs users would like to see bought in in more <laughs> clubs like Fabric, but that's not yeah. the direction that they've gone in. Yeah. So that's an approach which would be harm reduction, so reducing the harms from taking pills and other drugs, mm. whereas uh, the approach they're taking or that Fabric has agreed with Islington Council is just um, zero <coughs> tolerance on drug use. So, I guess working within the law, because that's mm. what the law is on well, the, drug use. There was a, a relatively interesting um, omission from their new security things, which was that, that I think it was a year or two ago, um, they imposed strict new conditions on fabric, and one of which was to have um, sniffer dogs outside the entrance. Yes, yeah. um, and that's not been um, a condition of their, their new licensing laws. Um, and one of the reasons for that was that there, there are many concerns with the use of sniffer dogs. Um, there was a qualitative uh, piece in Australia that spoke to people about their experiences with sniffer dogs. And they found that actually people who saw sniffer dogs at a festival were more likely to take all of their drugs. They were just like, right, there's sniffer dogs, let's take everything, and then walk into the festival. Sniffer Makes dogs can't, can't have it. Which Makes then a kind of sense. Them, which <laughs> <What>? then... <laughs> puts them at uh, quite a high risk of overdosing and uh, putting them in harm's way, which I'm, I'm guessing was some of the rationale for this not being used. Mm. But there's also been commentary on some of the other measures um, uh, that have been imposed on fabric, like increased covert surveillance, increased security presence, undercover um, security. And some people have 
been a bit critical saying that this might have the same effect so if it's so strict mm. inside around drugs that you might get people thinking right okay in the queue I'm going to take all of this and then put them in in harm's way so it's worth keeping an eye on it, it may be that the strict security measures make it a very very safe place to be it may not have quite the desired um, effect it's funny that our conversation isn't really all of these measures are going to stop people taking drugs within fabric and stop all drug use associated with fabric nightclub what we're thinking about the ways around it well it's just mm. yeah it's mm-hmm. the, our kind of our assumption is people yeah. are still going to be well, the, wanting to take drugs to go to fabric a proportion of people probably a lower proportion than we, we <laughs> estimate given yeah. the research that rob's told us earlier yeah. but um <laughs> yeah. yeah it is interesting isn't it so it's that's all well, i think it's um it's not as simple these things are never as simple as a cause or effect a cause and effect if they were then you know you would have a piece of legislation that bans drugs and people would stop taking drugs but it doesn't it has very very complex effects which means that people take them in a a variety of uncontrolled ways and it's the same with with ways of keeping nightclubs safe yes you know on one hand it's very very simple that you have a zero tolerance policy but it doesn't always have the linear desired effect that reduces drug use and reduces the harms from them actually sometimes they work in because people are weird mm. and when you get that many people there's a lot of potential weirdness, weirdness to go around <laughs> you know people don't behave in a way that's necessarily um, predictable they've also lightened dark corners so to minimize drug deals in them i think with a soft blue light i hear okay so a beautiful soft blue light uh no 18 year olds mm. a real chill it's atmosphere starting to sound somewhere really nice to go sounds right. lovely actually yeah. Th- will dogs? the queues no, no get dogs. in longer no because of the more excessive security measures? Yeah, potentially longer queues. Just means get there earlier, have an early night. Sorry, this is for me. <laughs> and I think they're going to turn the volume of the music down so you mm, can hear yes. yourself think. Mm. And speak to your friends, you know. Oh. Catch yeah. up. Good old catch up in fabric. Maps on all the walls. <laughs> <laughs> so we know where to go. Yeah, they've doubled the uh, toilet cleaning attendance. So who knows what this means for the future of fabric? Yeah, well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. It seems positive. Sounds like they're taking some positive steps but yeah. within the confines I hope, of what I hope, got. It, I hope it what? survives. <laughs> seems like they are taking some positive Does steps. It? You know, they're doing something. To I remain mean, open. Yeah, to, well, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because they're working within the confines of a culture where we are not really reducing the harms from drugs and taking no real steps in that way, just carrying on trying to stop people using drugs. But just because something needs to be done doesn't mean (laughs) that doing anything is a good thing. With a bit of a... With my research hat on, you think, oh, okay, they have taken a number of steps. Um, Let's see what those... Let's see what the outcome is. Uh, You know, I think it's it's just way too early and way too non-evidence-based to be able to say whether they're positive steps to reduce the harms of using drugs and even to reduce the amount of people taking drugs. I think I think they look good, they will satisfy a certain section of people who want to see things being done, but whether they actually make a difference to that clubbing environment in terms of safety and drug use, I, th- I think saying, saying that it's positive is a bold statement. Okay, so that rounds off another episode of What's the Crack? Today we spoke about fabric, you listened, you know what we spoke about, it was great. If you want to get in contact with us, we've got a, t- a Twitter account, what the crack pod no s we're on our characters if you want to ask any questions to us or just start a discussion you know we've got hashtag crack pod idea um so we'll uh, next week no in two weeks in two weeks we're going to be talking about supervised injection centers if you've got any questions on that or any suggestions on themes within it please get in touch and i just want to say thank you to oscar jones for making our logo and to jamie drew photography for doing all the 
amazing pictures, which we've got to go our podcast, which I think we all agree everyone loves. That's it. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.